Welcome to the Unified Brand Podcast, brought to you by Elements Brand Management, a weekly podcast to empower founders, marketers, and business professionals to brand smarter, not harder, and build impactful, memorable, and differentiated brands that stand out from the competition. So today we're joined by Grant Baldwin, founder and CEO of the Speaker Lab. Grant has helped thousands of people build successful and sustainable speaking businesses. He's also the author of the book, The Successful Speaker, as well as host of the Speaker Lab podcast. These have impacted thousands of speakers at all levels globally. It'd be good to learn more about yourself and what you do. And it's great to have you on the podcast. Chris, thanks for letting me hang out with you, man. I appreciate it. No worries. So what did your love of speaking and presenting start? Yeah, good question. So if we go way back in time in high school, I was really involved in my local church and my youth pastor had a really big impact in my life. And for a long time, I was like, I want to do that. Like that seemed like a really rewarding, fulfilling type of career. And not only did he have just a, a huge impact in my life in terms of just, you know, hanging out and conversations, that sort of thing, but also it was a phenomenal speaker. And so that really resonated with me. So that was kind of the track I was on for a little while. I went to Bible college and then was a youth pastor at a, a church for a little while. And that gave me a lot of opportunities to speak. And speaking was one of those things I, I really enjoyed. I felt like I was decent. I wanted to do more of, but I just didn't know, like, how do you find gigs and what do you speak about and who hires speakers and how much do you charge? And like, how does that world work? And so this was 18, 19 years ago or so. And at the time, there weren't really any podcasts or trainings or books or resources or coaching or programs or anything about the business of speaking. How do you find and book gigs? And so I found myself like emailing other speakers, harassing other speakers, stalking other speakers, kind of pick your brain type of stuff. Learned a few things and was able to book a few gigs out of that and did that for the next eight, nine years or so. It was speaking at 60, 70 gigs a year, a lot in the US, and then eventually started the Speaker Lab. And, and basically, we're you know, coaching, teaching, training speakers who were where I was when I got started going, I want to do this. I just need to know, like, how does it work? And again, who hires speakers? What do you speak about? And how much do you charge? And how does this mysterious black box work? And so that's the core of what we do today. Oh, so yeah, we're speaking that much on sort of so many different stages. What are some of the key things that you've learned from speaking that much in public? What are some of the things that people need to be aware of, consider, and also that can help them to deliver their message effectively? Yeah, I think for the audience, I think it's important to think through like, how do you want speaking to kind of fit into what it is that you're doing as a marketer, as a business owner, as a founder, whatever your role may be, because uh, it's going to look different for everybody. So one of the nice things about speaking is that it's not necessarily a one size fits all, meaning there are speakers who speak 150, you know, 200 times a year. And it's like a core part of their world or maybe the only thing that they're doing in terms of their business. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have speakers who, you know, maybe they're running an agency or maybe they're running their business or they have a full-time job or whatever it may be. And they still are passionate about speaking and they're interested in speaking and they speak five or 10 times a year. And it kind of, speaking kind of feeds into some of the other parts of their business or their world. And it's not that one's better or worse than the other, but for you, you just got to get really, really clear on what are my goals with speaking? How do I want speaking to fit into what it is that I'm doing, what it is that I'm trying to accomplish? So that's super important to identify for any speakers just to figure out like how speaking fits into the mix of what it is that you're trying to do. The other thing I would say is that regardless of your professional accomplishments or achievements or how long maybe you've done a little bit of speaking before, like speaking is no different than any other skill in that it, it takes time, it takes work, it takes effort to get better at it. And so sometimes people may assume like, hey, I'm a charismatic person or I'm good in conversation and I've given a talk or two before and therefore either I, I should naturally be really, really good on stage or that I should be able to charge a bunch of money for this right out of the gate. And yeah, you can absolutely make a great living from speaking, but you know, if you want to get better as a speaker, you, you got to speak, you got to put in reps. And if you want to get better as a podcaster, you got a podcast, you want to get better as a writer, you have to write. If you want to get better playing an instrument or a sport or whatever it may be, 
You have to do the craft. You have to do the thing. And so I think having a long-term perspective on speaking is super important versus just saying like, yeah, I'm kind of interested in speaking and I'll kind of dabble in it and stick my toe in it. And hopefully it all just magically works out. Yeah, I've found with the more I speak, the better I get in terms of you laying those foundations every time. And it's interesting how when you present, you pick things up that you could do better the next time. As soon as you finish the presentation, you sort of Mm -hmm. feel like, okay, there's something there I could improve or I could have done that better. Next time I'll do that. Piggyback on that. Like one thing that's really enjoyable about speaking, I think, is that you get real time feedback and it's different than any other medium, meaning like if. Right now, we're recording a podcast and uh, someone's listening to this. And let's say there are a billion people that are listening to this because it's a massive show. And I know a large percentage of the global population listens to the show. So if people are listening to this right now, like, Chris, you and I can't see any of their faces. You know, we have no idea, like, what are they doing right now? Are they smiling? Are they nodding? Are they shaking their head? Are they taking notes? Are they paying attention? Are they driving? Are they cooking? Are they walking? Are they at the gym? Like, We have no idea. And the same thing is true. Like if someone reads my book, The Successful Speaker, like, I don't know, like, are they underlining things? Are they reading any of it? Are they skipping around? You you just don't know. But when you are speaking, when you're standing on a stage, giving a presentation, you get that real time feedback that informs the presentation and helps actually make future presentations better because you see like what is working and what doesn't work. You know, are people smiling? Are they nodding? Are they paying attention? Are they looking at their phone? Are they writing things down? Are they engaged or are they disconnected? And so you figure out that feedback from the audience that again, makes each presentation and each talk better. And so there's kind of an expression in the speaking industry that when you are quoting a high fee as a speaker, you're not charging for that one speech necessarily. You're charging for the hundreds and hundreds of speeches previously that all went into refining and dialing in. And so that by this time I show up and speak at your event for your audience, for this particular client, like it is a really, really, really well-refined speech and presentation because of all those previous audiences. So that's one of the fun things about this medium of speaking. Yeah, that's really interesting. So the feedback you get from the audience, because I sometimes find when I'm presenting, sometimes I think, and it's maybe not a great trait, but sometimes I forget to always take in everything that's going on. So is that something that you train into your speakers to actually be more aware of what's going on in the room and kind of gathering that feedback as you go? Is it something that inherently you do or is it something you have to be sort of trained into, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think there's a few different things. Like I think initially when people are speaking, it can be very intimidating, it can be very daunting. You know, you're standing up on a stage typically in front of an audience and everybody, all eyes are on you. And so people are worried about like, what if I forget what I'm going to say? Or what if I lose my train of thought? Or what if I, you know, forget a story that I was going to tell? Or I, you know, I have my three points, but I tell them out of order, like whatever. And so it, it can feel very daunting, right? But again, like we talked about earlier, the more you speak, the more comfortable, the more confident that you become. And one thing that we remind speakers all the time, again, assuming that you are speaking to different audiences each time, which is the case with most speakers versus speaking to the same audience every time you speak, you don't necessarily want to be giving a completely new, different talk every single time you speak. Like you want to, again, like we touched on, you know, whenever you speak, you want to take that feedback that you get from the audience and refine and develop. It's kind of like a, imagine a chef making a a new dish, you know, they're not just going to nail it the first try. They're going to make a really good educated guess. I think this will work. I think this will make sense. I think this is funny. Or for a chef, I think this will, you know, I think I'm putting the right amount of sugar or salt or, you know, cooking it or baking it too long or too short or whatever. 
And then when you taste it, you're taste testing it to determine like, what do I need to tweak? What do I need to modify? What do I need to change? And like, oh, okay, now I, let's cook it a little bit less or we need to cook a little bit more or it has too much salt or we need to add a little bit more of this you know, vegetable or whatever it may be. Again, making that educated guess, but then kind of refining it over time there with each time that they make that dish. And so eventually like the dish is just, it's perfect, it's flawless. Like that's the way they should deliver it each time. And so for a speaker, like, yes, some of it is like you're in real time kind of noticing the audience and noticing like, are people engaged? Are they paying attention? Like what's happening with the audience? Another good thing that I think all speakers should do is to record themselves, record the video, watch the video back, a good exercise is to watch the video on mute and see what you're doing with your nonverbal communication. So you may not even be aware of you watch it on mute. And sometimes you can even do this. If you watch it on mute and at, you know, two or three X speed, you'll notice like sometimes speakers are do like the same gestures with their hands just over and over and over. And you pick up on that when you're watching it muted and sped up. Or you may see a speaker that just paces back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you notice that whenever, again, it's muted and you're just watching the video sped up. And so you pick up on some of these things are like, oh, dang, I, I didn't even realize I did that. Or some maybe go-to phrase that you say all the time. Like a lot of times speakers will end a sentence with, you know, They'll be talking about something or explaining at some point of, you know, and it's almost like I'm trying to get this, the audience to agree with me or just to can kind of confirm that the audience is with me. You know what I'm talking about, right? And that sort of thing where you may not realize it in your speaking, but then you watch it back and you realize, dang, I actually say that a lot. I need to be more aware of that. So I think like those type of things are the things that you're looking for whenever you're watching, quote unquote, that game film and looking back at it to see, you know, what are the areas that you can improve upon? Yeah, that's a really good tip. A really good tip. I hadn't thought of doing that. And I can see how that would be really useful. And there's there's something when you were saying it, I was thinking about something that I always say, and I always talk on the podcast, actually, I always come back to interesting. Oh, that's interesting. And it's mm. because I'm really curious and I'm really do find it interesting, but I say it, I say it quite a lot. And yeah. So I can definitely see how that would be helpful in terms of, yeah, seeing what things you do on stage and stuff like that. So from that perspective, what are some of the things that you can do to develop that confidence on stage? And kind of, if you have that fear, what are some things you can work on first to kind of address that fear? Yeah, I think one of the best things that you can do is really spend a lot of time practicing and preparing ahead of time. You know, I think a, a misconception is that the best speakers in the world are just these naturally charismatic, talented people. And they just, you know, scribble some ideas on a napkin and hop up on stage and wing it. And it all just magically works out. Like, it just doesn't work like that. Like, they spend an enormous amount of time practicing and preparing, you know, behind the scenes so that by the time they get up on stage... It looks natural, it looks off the cuff, but again, it's because of all the work that they put in. This is not different than if you look at an actor or an actress, you know, in a performance or a play, or if you are watching an athlete or a musician, and it looks like, like, you know, they just get up on stage and they do their little song and dance thing, or they play the sport or activity or game or whatever it may be and think like, oh, they're just, you know, they're naturally good. And yet, yeah, there may be some level of athleticism or skill or talent that they have, but also They've spent an enormous amount of time working on that behind the scenes. So I think that this is important for speakers as well, is to really spend a lot of time practicing and preparing. A way to kind of think about this is if you go back to think back to high school, middle school, college, university, and you remember taking a test or an exam of some kind, and you could show up and just kind of, ah, I'm just going to kind of wing it. And oftentimes, like that just doesn't go well. You don't feel ready. You don't feel confident. You feel nervous going into it. Or you can really spend the time to study and prepare. And you may go in still feeling some of those butterflies, but you also feel a level of confidence. So like, I'm ready for this. Like I've done the work. I'm looking forward to this in a way of like, I know that I'm ready for this moment. And so the same thing is true for speakers is you really need to spend the time 
practicing, preparing so that you show up and you just feel a level of confidence. Another thing to be aware of is I think sometimes when we feel nerves or we feel those butterflies or we feel that anxiety that we think of it in a negative way, right? But oftentimes it's not necessarily like nerves or fear of like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a disaster or I'm going to lose my train of thought or I'm going to look like a fool up on stage. Oftentimes it's just the excitement and the adrenaline of the moment. And we have a hard time distinguishing between what's excitement and what's fear, because oftentimes the, the body's reaction is the same. And so think about like other key moments that you've had in life and where you felt something similar. So for example, when if you had a big job interview or if you went on a big first date or when a kid was born or when you proposed to your spouse or any of these like are at your wedding, like these big, big moments where you felt that and like you didn't feel like scared of like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a disaster. But there's just like this excitement, this adrenaline. And so again, the way that you calm that so it doesn't get to the point of being debilitating and just completely overtake you is that you spend the time to practice, you spend the time to prepare behind the scenes so that, yeah, you may feel the excitement, the adrenaline of the moment, but you also have a level of confidence like, no, no, I'm putting the work, I'm ready for this, I'm prepared. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, the preparation side of things for me, I, I have to prepare. If I don't prepare, it can all go, it can all go wrong. So yeah, I definitely think preparation is good. From your perspective, obviously, I think speaking and presenting is a huge part of developing your personal brand. But also if you're driving a company forward, it can be a really important part of developing your business brand. So what are some of the things that you talk about with speakers in terms of that, in terms of developing the personal brand, developing their kind of presence? What are some of the things that speaking is good for and how does it help with that? Yeah, speaking has always been one of those things that people hold in high esteem. And so if you're at an event, a conference, a convention, trade show, whatever it may be, and you are sitting in the audience and you're watching a speaker on stage, there's just a certain amount of authority that we prescribe to that person, right? There's a certain amount of recognition, of expertise, of value that we place on that person because they were vetted and chosen to speak to this other collection of human beings, right? And so it, there's just a, a level of authority that comes with that. And so there's that side of it, that when you are a speaker, you are viewed as and considered the expert. So speaking is great for that. Speaking is great for networking, for meeting other people, whether that's audience members or fellow speakers. You know, speakers want to connect with other speakers. And so if you're speaking at some type of event where you are seen as some type of expert or authority, it's a lot easier to make connections and build relationships with other people who are also speaking at that versus let's say you are just an attendee at a conference trying to connect with some type of speaker they're like ah you know they may not necessarily look down upon you and like in a negative way or anything but you know if you're kind of random audience member versus like oh here's this other speaker that i view on the same level as me so to speak again none of this is like in a negative context but just like I know that this speaker is also like maybe the caliber of human or entrepreneur that I want to connect with or talk to. So it can be really, really good from a, a networking standpoint as well. Speaking can also be great for lead generation, depending on like the nature of your business, what it is that you're doing. If you have some type of product or service that you offer, there's a lot of speakers that use speaking as lead gen, where they may go in and speak about, you know, a certain subject or topic. And then uh, there's going to be audience members who are saying like, hey, that was awesome. Can I hire you to help me implement that or apply that? Or can you come teach that or train that to my company or to my team or whatever it may be? And so speaking can work really, really well from that standpoint as well. So yeah, whether or not you want to, again, you want to speak a couple times a year or you want to speak full time, I think every entrepreneur should strongly consider speaking being part of the repertoire of, of what it is that they offer. Are you struggling to grow your brand but not sure why? Has your business hit a growth ceiling? or is your marketing failing to land with your target audience? At Elements Brand Management, we've put together a four-minute brand power assessment that will score your brand in a percentage out of 100 
and highlight the key areas that are holding your business back. Visit brandpowerscore.co.uk today, take the assessment and unlock your business's full potential. What was the inspiration for your book, The Successful Speaker? Where did that come from? What was the, the journey behind it? And and why did you write the book? Yeah, so a uh, couple things there. When I was speaking full-time, like I said, I was doing 60, 70 gigs a year. I had people who were asking me all the time, hey, I want to be a speaker. How would I go about doing that? And so I had done a little bit of coaching training around that. And then that continued to kind of take off and evolve and and led to the company today, the Speaker Lab. So we're a coaching training company for speakers and specifically the business of speaking. How do you find and book gigs? And so if you want to know how to make an impact and income with your message, that's what we teach and coach on. And so we had a couple different coaching training programs around that. We have a podcast called the Speaker Lab Podcast, where at this point we've got 460, 470 some episodes uh, on all things speaking. And so had considered doing a book and a couple of years ago decided like, hey, let's do the book. And basically like taking a lot of the methodology of what we teach in terms of like, how do you find a book gigs and what does the business of speaking look like at any stage, whatever it is that you're wanting to do with speaking. And so really kind of put that into a book format that people can digest. So yeah, that's what the book is. The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid and Building Your Platform. Oh, I'll put a link in the show notes for that in the description. So with that, when you're looking to book gigs, do you encourage people to book gigs that are kind of uh, in alignment with their brand? So that makes sense for them from a business perspective, from a brand perspective, something that aligns with who they are and the audience they're trying to reach. Is that kind of what you teach? And, And how do you go about finding those types of gigs? Yeah, absolutely. Again, this a lot of this goes back to what your goals are with speaking. And so let's say that you're a consultant or a coach and you have some type of product or service that you want to offer and you want to use speaking as a means to do that. Then you got to kind of reverse engineer and figure out like, all right, who is my ideal customer or client? And then where do those people gather? Like what are the natural events that they would be attending that I should consider speaking at? That's the approach that you're kind of taking. So in fact, in the book, we teach what we call the speaker success roadmap. It's a five-step process that makes the acronym speak. And so maybe what would be helpful would be, I'll kind of give you a quick overview of that and then we can kind of dig in wherever you want. But the acronym speak starts with S. S stands for select a problem to solve. Select a problem to solve, meaning that you got to answer two key questions. Who do you speak to and what problem do you solve? Who do you speak to? What problem do you solve? Now, the mistake here that a lot of speakers make is we try to go big, broad, vague. And so who do I speak to? I don't know, man. I speak to people. I speak to humans. My message is for everybody. Like, well, that doesn't work. And the same thing is true with, well, what do you speak about? Because sometimes speakers will say, well, what do you want me to speak about? I can speak about anything. We talk about sales or marketing or leadership or customer service or culture or hiring or family or sports, like hobbies and health and like on and on the list goes. And even if you know something about those various topics, it doesn't necessarily mean that you want to try to position yourself as someone that can speak on all those things. Event planners, decision makers, clients, they are looking for specialists, not generalists. And so we tell speakers all the time that you want to be the steakhouse and not the buffet. The steakhouse and not the buffet. Meaning, Chris, if you and I we're, we're going out for a good steak, like we have a choice. We could go to a buffet where steak is one of a hundred things that they offer and they're all mediocre. Or we could go to a steakhouse where they do one thing, but they do that one thing really, really well. And so you want to be that as a speaker. You don't want to be try to be the speaker that speaks about anything and everything to everybody, but you want to say, no, no, I'm really good at solving one specific problem for one specific audience. Now, this is not exclusive to just speaking. This is true for any entrepreneur at any level is the more that you can solve one specific problem for one specific audience, the easier it will be to build and grow a business. So that's the S, selecting a problem to solve. The P is to prepare your talk, prepare your talk. So 
ultimately be really, really clear on what is the solution that you are providing to that audience and how you are helping them solve that problem that they may have. The E is to establish yourself as the expert. Establish yourself as the expert. So two key marketing assets that you need. One is a website and number two is a demo video. So a website, in this day and age, if you don't have a website, you don't exist. It's hard for people to take you seriously. So it's important to have a website and also having a demo video. Now, what exactly is a demo video? So think of it like a movie trailer. Before you would go see a movie, you wanna see the trailer. And what exactly is that? They're gonna take a two hour movie, they're gonna boil it down to two or three minutes. And within those two or three minutes, you have an idea of who's in it, what's the plot, what's the theme, what's the genre. And the goal of a movie trailer and the goal of a demo video is to make people want to see more. And so for a demo video, an event planner, a decision maker who's considering hiring you, they are in the risk mitigation business. Meaning if I hire you, if I put you up on stage, if I hand you a microphone, if I let you talk to my people, I'm giving up a lot of control and I'm saying, I trust you. I trust that what you're going to say is going to represent me and my company and my organization. Maybe my boss is going to represent all of us well, right? You're not going to say anything stupid or controversial or embarrassing or humiliating or anything like that. It's a huge, huge risk. And so that demo video is something that gives them a couple of minutes to see like, how are you as a speaker? You know, are you good at this? Are you, do I feel like as an event planner that you would do a good job at my event? So that's what the demo video is. So that's the E, establish yourself as the expert. Next one, A is acquire paid speaking gigs, acquire paid speaking gigs. Now, this is the part that oftentimes we wanna fast forward to, like, man, just tell me how to book gigs. But if we don't have these other foundational pieces in place first, it's really hard to actually book gigs. And so when we talk about acquiring paid speaking gigs, we're talking about having a system, having a process that you are able to reach out to, to follow up with potential event planners and decision makers. So rather than just saying, I have my website, I have my demo video, and now I just sit back and I wait for the phone to ring, like that just does not work. We wanna be much more proactive rather than reactive. And the last part of the process, K, is know when to scale, know when to scale. Meaning a lot of people who are interested in speaking are also interested in writing a book or coaching or consulting or doing a course or doing a podcast or any number of things. And so we always remind speakers, you can do all the things, you just can't do all the things at once. So something's gonna come first, something's gonna come last. You gotta be clear about how speaking kind of fits into the mix of what it is that you're wanting to do. So again, that's the outline of what we teach inside the successful speaker, the book. It's also like the core philosophy of what we teach in all of our programs inside the speaker lab. How do you actually get booked and paid to speak? Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I love that. Well, one, it's it's memorable with regards to, you know, using it to spell speak. And I think each of those points, you can see how they build upon each other to get you through the process. So with that in mind, when you talk about planning and setting things up and getting ready for a particular presentation or talk, what are some things that you can do to sort of get yourself ready for it in terms of get yourself in the mood, get yourself pumped up for that particular talk? Yeah, it's going to be different with every speaker. You know, there's going to be some speakers that are going to, you know, like a Tony Robbins who may stand on a trampoline and just kind of get themselves hyped up. And I think sometimes, you know, there's a misconception of like, oh, that's what he does. Therefore, that's what we all have to do. Like, no, no, like there are some speakers that are much more quiet and introspective and maybe they're listening to music or maybe they're just meditating or maybe they're going over their notes prior to the talk. So I don't know that there's anything necessarily that you have to do or not do. I think it really depends on the person. If it's the type of thing where you have to really get yourself kind of worked up and fired up for, then I'd also kind of question like, why are you doing this in the first place? Because if it's something like, man, I got to go do this speaking engagement, like, and it's just this drain or drag on you, then like, you don't have to do this. Like, why are you doing that? And again, this isn't exclusive to just speaking. This is true with, with anything in life. You know, I want to do things that I'm looking forward to, that I'm excited about, 
you know, I'm looking at my calendar this morning and I see that, you know, we have this conversation. I'm excited about this. You know, you don't have to be like, oh crap, I got to, you know, like, well then don't do it. So if anything, oftentimes for speakers, it is making sure that you're kind of settling yourself down and so that you're not getting too amped up or too fired up. I always remind speakers that as a speaker, you are a human talking to a collection of other humans. So act like a human. Like a mistake sometimes speakers will make is they get so deep in their own head and thinking through, you know, every single part of the talk and exactly how it's all going to go. And I need to memorize every single word exactly. And audience, like as humans, we're smart. Like we can tell whether or not someone's engaged, someone's present, someone's enjoying this, or if someone's just kind of going through the motions or they just regurgitating a script or something that they, some spiel that they just memorized. Like, don't be that kind of speaker. Be someone that like I have crafted and worked on this presentation, but I can also be fully present and in the moment with the audience. Yeah, it's interesting. I always find the best presentations I ever give are when I'm doing a talk, when I feel completely in the moment and I feel mm -hmm. like I'm actually sort of just allowing myself to be myself and just going with the motions. Like you can memorize certain bits, like you said, but if you can allow yourself to to flex and kind of change and and just feel what's going on, I think that's always when I find that I do my best speaking and presentations. Yeah, let me give an example. Um, in music, I know squat about music, but two types of music. Okay, You have sheet music, which is here's a piece of sheet music. You play this exactly like it is written. There's no interpretation. There's no wavering from this at all. This is exactly how it's meant to be played, right? And then you also have like jazz. And jazz is more kind of this improvisational and we're all kind of be you know, doing our own thing, but it all kind of blends together and, you know, it all just kind of works, right? And I think great speaking is really a combination of both, meaning that there's going to be some parts that are very, very polished and scripted, but there's also just going to be some jazz in there and where maybe something happens in the room that some elephant in the room that you need to acknowledge, that you need to call out or you, something funny happens. It's one of those like raw, real moments of like, oh, you had to be there. Or maybe you say something that's just kind of random off the cuff, but you're like, ooh, that was good. I need to remember that for the next time I speak or give this presentation. And so I think, again, that's what good speaking is, is a combination of both very polished and prepared, but also some jazz and, and being willing to go with within the moment there. You mentioned um, body language earlier on when you said about watching yourself back and kind of the volume off and then watching what's happening on stage. Yep. Do you teach with regards to body language anything in particular in terms of when you're delivering it or is it always individual set to the individual or is there some sort of process you go through to develop presence on stage with your body language and how you're what you're communicating? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be some nuances to for different people because there are going to be on one end of the spectrum you have like a Tony Robbins who is a very larger than life type of character, very charismatic, is going to stand and be loud and cheer. You want you on your feet. And like that works. On the other end of the spectrum, you have someone who like a Brene Brown, who's a very quiet, more reserved type of speaker and a very, very powerful, effective speaker. And they're two totally different types of speakers. And again, it's not that one's better or worse than the other, but they also, that seems very, very true to who they are as humans. So again, kind of going back to one thing we touched on earlier is like you're a human talking to other humans, so act like a human. So don't be something that you're not. You know, if you've seen like, oh, this speaker speaks in this way or in this cadence or therefore that's what I have to do. No, like if I want to be the kind of speaker and I hope the speakers that we work with are the type of speakers who who they are on stage is also who they are off stage. And it's not like, oh, man, they were like playing a part or a bit and like they're a totally different personality. And it just it was a complete disconnect of who they actually are as people. So I think that that's important. I think another thing is to be aware of the energy and the size of the room, okay? And what I mean by that is 
if right now it's just you and I talking, okay, one-to-one type of conversation. And so if I were to pretend like there are 10,000 people in a room right now and I'm giving a talk, it would feel ridiculous and completely over the top, right? Because at the end of the day, it's just two of us having a conversation. But now let's reverse it. Let's say that I'm standing on stage actually presenting to 10,000 people, but I am speaking as if there's just one-to-one, right? Then you're just like, well, that guy just seems dead, you know, because of the size and the energy of that room. So whether you're speaking to one person or a hundred people or 500 or a thousand or several thousand people, you want to make sure that you are raising your own energy level to match that of the room so that there isn't this like disconnect of like, wow, that guy seemed way over the top for the room or for the moment or that speaker seemed just dead. Like they just seemed like they didn't have any energy, but that would have worked in a different setting. So that's definitely something to, to be aware of. What's your um, advice with regards to when you're presenting, how you scan the room, so how you engage the audience? Is there anything that you do to amp that up in terms of, not amp up, say the energy as such, but just to make sure that you are engaging the audience in some way and making sure you're getting right around the room or like you said, an auditorium or something like that? Yeah, again, a lot of this depends on the room itself and the the setting there. And so you actually, ideally what you want is you want a room that is too small. Now, this is kind of counterintuitive because let me give an example. A few years ago, I was speaking at an event in New Jersey and I did a keynote in a room that sat 2000 people and they had about 2000 people in there. So it feels packed, it feels crowded, it feels full, which is awesome. And then right afterwards, they had me do a workshop in that same room for about 50 people. When you have 2,000 people in a 2,000 seat room, it feels amazing. But when you have 50 people in a 2,000 seat room, it feels completely dead and empty. So you want to make the room as small as possible. So in that type of setting, you do not want people, you know, 50 people spread out all over 2,000 seats. You want to bring them into the first two or three rows. And so what we ended up doing is like, hey, everybody just grab a chair, come up. And we just made like a small little circle there, like completely separate from like the rest of the room because otherwise it just feels awkward. It feels completely dead, you know? And again, this isn't exclusive to just speaking. Like imagine going to see a comedian in a room that's half full or going to a sporting event and there's only a third of the people, a third of the stands that are filled. Like that's dead. That just feels completely empty versus if you go and it's packed and it's shoulder to shoulder, energy is contagious. And so when you're in that type of setting, you're like, ooh, I know this is gonna be good just because it's crowded and it feels full. And so that's one thing a speaker can do is just make sure that even though you may not control the the number of people that are in the room or the number of seats in the room, you want to do your part to make the room feel and be small. Another thing I try to do is before I speak, I try to go around and just meet people and talk to people. Now, there's a weird dynamic where before you speak and you're going around talking to people, they're kind of like, now, who are you again? And what are you doing here? And what do you have to do with this event? Then after you speak, everyone's like, oh, you're the guy, you're the dude, you know, and people may want to talk to you or take pictures with you or whatever it may be. But beforehand, just going around, shaking hands, giving high fives, saying hey to people, because then there's like, even just for a brief moment there, there's some type of human connection. So then when you're standing on stage, like they're looking at you going like, oh, I met that guy for 10 seconds earlier, but like that guy gave me a high five and just seemed like a nice guy. And I think it just kind of changes the rapport or the connection that you may have with the audience. So those are a few little things that, you know, you can be aware of and do. Yeah, cool. What drives you mad about the industry? Is there anything that kind of really bugs you about the industry at all? Let's think here. Well, I think uh, one thing is we kind of touched on earlier is like speakers who try to speak on all different subjects and topics. And, you know, you try to speak to anybody and everybody, and then you just get frustrated why that doesn't work. Well, like, of course that doesn't work. You know, like 
think about another context of life. Like I don't want, here's a way to think about this. Let's imagine God forbid that you need to have brain surgery. Okay. You could, you have a choice. You could go to your local family medical doctor. They are a doctor. They went to medical school. They probably know more about the brain than you or I do. They may have performed some minor surgeries before, but they've never done brain surgery. You can go to that doctor to do brain surgery, or you can go to a brain surgeon where day in and day out, that's all they do. If you have a heart issue, you don't go to them. If you have a broken leg, you don't go to them. If you have a bad cough, you don't go to them. But if you have a brain issue, like that's the person I want cutting me up and working on my brain because that's the thing that they are best at. And again, it's counterintuitive, but like rather than trying to be mediocre at a whole bunch of different things, be really, really great at one specific thing. So I think that that's a definitely something for every speaker to do. Also think another thing that can be frustrating at times is speakers who are expecting professional results, but are giving amateur effort. Speakers who are expecting professional results, but are giving amateur effort. And so if I just say like, yeah, I want to be a speaker and I'll just kind of like, you know, tinker with it on the side. And then I'm shocked at why I'm not getting as many gigs or not as many high profile gigs or not as many top fee gigs as someone else. It's like, wait a second, why is that? It's like, because I'm not putting in the energy or effort. None of this is exclusive to just speaking. This is true just in life. If I wanted to lose 10 pounds, then I can't like eat junk food all the time and sit around and never exercise and be like, wait a second, why isn't it happening for me? Because I'm not, I'm just not putting in the effort. And so you can't expect results that are different than the effort that you are giving. And so I think it's so important for any speaker, any entrepreneur to know like, yeah, you can be very, very successful as a speaker, but it doesn't just magically happen just because you closed your eyes really tight and you said, hey, I, you know, I wish upon a star that I, I can be a speaker. Like it just doesn't work like that. The best speakers in the world are the ones that have really put in the effort and the energy. And you can be there too. You got to be willing to put in the same effort and energy over an extended period of time. Yeah, that reminds me of that quote. I can't remember the exact quote, but it's basically along the lines of every overnight success took a long time to get there. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 10 year overnight success. You know, it's like, just keep showing up, keep showing up, keep showing up over an extended period, but not like, you know, I spent a week and I didn't get any gigs. Therefore, you know, speaking is hard. Like, yeah, it is hard. And like anything else in life, but that doesn't mean that you can't do it or shouldn't do it. It means you got to put in the work. Yeah, definitely. So like, from your perspective, is there anybody you, you mentioned earlier on Tony Robbins, which I've seen some of his techniques in terms of the way he sort of does these, he calls it a power move or something before he gets himself mm-hmm. amped up for the presenting. You mentioned Brene Brown. Is there anybody else that you would recommend to the audience to go and watch from a speaker perspective, whether that's a, a client that's come through the, the agency or somebody that's famous that does a really good job of presenting? Maybe two different styles, maybe that full on kind of Tony Robbins style and then a kind of more subdued analytical style. Yeah. Let me think here. There's a good friend of mine, Ron Tite. I mean, he's a speaker out of Canada that he's a very, very funny speaker. And so he uses a lot of comedy. And so he would definitely be a good one to check out. There's actually, if you look up the speaker lab on YouTube, we've got 50 or 60 kind of reaction videos there where we've taken some very, very popular, famous speeches. There's a lot of them that are TED Talks. Some of them that are like uh, commencement addresses at, at universities or graduations. There's one from Steve Jobs from several years ago. And we're doing kind of a breakdown of why did that talk work? Why did that not work? Here's what they could have done differently. That joke was very funny. Here's what made it funny. And so kind of dissecting it. And so yeah, you can find those on YouTube. But yeah, there's quite a few different speakers there that I'd encourage you to check out. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I've seen some really good ones from uh, Denzel Washington, commencement side of things. He seems to have a delivery that's quite interesting and he pauses in certain places that kind of holds this gap and then he drops something. It's really uh, yeah, interesting how he does that. 
Cool. So um, where can people find out a little bit more about yourself? You know, the book, the lab and everything like that. Where can people find out about you? Yeah, everything we do is over at thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. Like we mentioned earlier, if you listen to this podcast, you probably listen to other podcasts. So we have a podcast by the same name, The Speaker Lab Podcast. Like I said, we've got hundreds and hundreds of free episodes there on all different subjects, topics related to speaking. Check that out. And again, I know we touched on it, but uh, the book, The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, Building Your Platform, that five-step process speak that we talked about earlier, would definitely encourage you to check out the book. It's been absolutely awesome talking to you. It'd be good to do it again and pick up where we left off. And yeah, I'll put all of those links in the description. Yeah, just thanks again for coming on. It's been awesome. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate the time, man. No worries. Don't forget to subscribe if you've enjoyed this episode of the Unified Brand Podcast. And if you could rate and review wherever you get your podcast, that would be highly appreciated. If you want to continue your brand development journey, head over to Elements Brand Management on YouTube. There's a link in the show notes below where you'll see clips from the podcast, brand building tips, deep dives, and more. So thank you for listening. And remember, keep those brands unified.